fitness, nutrition, sleep, longevity, performance, fat loss, and all the keys to a life of health, happiness, and success. I'm Jed Zimmer, your host, and welcome to The Health Project. Welcome back, guys, and we're back again for episode 45 to tonight of The Health Project, which is another another great and fun educational episode. I loved, absolutely love chatting with Dr. Claudia Guay, who's jumping on for tonight's episode. It was it was such a good chat. We even spoke a lot off off air what is recorded tonight and just her insight into life and all things health is, is truly incredible. And I think just if you look at her bio, it probably does speak volume. So she's she's a neuroscientist. She's you know, she's had multiple TEDx presentations, she runs lectures and workshops all over the world. She's got a PhD in neuroscience. So she's she's so knowledgeable, um, which I really went into depth with her. So anything skin related neuroscience brain health cognitive function obviously with that phd in neuroscientist she's she's a wealth of knowledge in all these areas the skin brain connection is something that i want to touch on which a lot of people were probably not aware of the there is a lot more talk about the gut brain connection nowadays which people are becoming more aware of but the the skin brain connection is something that that sort of is a new is a new talking point and and Claudia is probably the founder of, of of that talking point, so it's really good to get her insight and things. So you'll love this conversation. Before we get into it, obviously we're we're back into um here where I am in Victoria. We're back into lockdown, so there's going to be a bit more time on my hands. So we're going to look to smash out a few podcast episodes. I've I've got plenty plenty in the bank, but for you listeners out there, if you've got any guests that you follow follow regularly on social media or any high-profile names that, that are truly just a wealth of knowledge that will probably fit the bill for this podcast and you would love to hear more about them, feel free to flip me a message and I'll, I'll try and get in contact with them. So any guest recommendations uh, and, and also anything that you would like to learn more about. So I'm going to be a lot more lot more vocal on the social medias with regular regular Q&As, which I did yesterday with great, with great success. So for all you that are listening there, feel free to flip me a message, whether it be through the socials, through this podcast forum, I, I receive all those messages, whether it be a voice message or a written message as well. So don't hesitate if you do have any questions or you want any specific topics, guests discussed. So again, enjoy this episode and we'll be back for episode 46. Well, first of all, I want to ask neuroscience. What actually is it? Because I know for me and for a lot of others, it's it's a big daunting word, um, and it, it's different to your typical sort of GP doctors, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. What what yeah. does the word neuroscience mean to you? It means for me, it actually kind of means the study of everything, and the reason is because the mind our mind um, and our perception of the world is basically our reality. Um, Mm. And we can even talk about multiple realities, artificial intelligence or, you know, virtual reality, for example. Um, It's still a form of reality created by man. So um, for me, it really encompasses just about everything, which is why I tend to go quite broad when I do work. You know, I'm not focused on one specific area. Mm. Um, That said, you know, a lot of people think of neuro and they think brain surgeon and those are neurologists. Um, so, so, you know, they're the ones that are tinkering around in the, in the human brain. Um, we as scientists are kind of touching on everything else, um, from animals to consciousness, to Mm. robotics, um, cognition, language development, um, memory and learning. And those two were kind of the focus points for my thesis work, um, 
I awesome. am a molecular neurobiologist by training. Mm. And do you have certain areas in particular you focus on, whether it is, you know, longevity, memory, mm. cognitive function, mm. what's your focus area? Um, I love the gray matter, the gray zones. Right. Um, so I like the, the, the merging of two, you know, somewhat different areas. So um, one of my big areas that I, that I tend to focus on, and I'm one of the only experts that, um, that are in this particular world, is mm. the connection between the brain and the skin. Yeah. Um, so I, I look at skin from a brain perspective, um, because it's all connected. So then I can talk about, you know, mm. kind of these headier topics, um, about something that, um, emerges, uh, on the skin as a result of something that is psychological, for example, um, other area. And, you know, since the organs are all connected, so brain, skin, gut connection is one big area, sleep and sleep deprivation is another area. Um, mm. like I said, my thesis work was on, um, learning and memory with a focus on dementia and Alzheimer's and female hormones, given that right. more people that get Alzheimer's and dementia are women. So mm. I'm looking at hormonal, um, interactions in the aging brain as well. And what actually is it, what is the skin and brain connection? Is this very similar to, you know, the gut brain connection, which is quite, quite a popular topic. Now, what's the connection here between the skin and the brain? Yeah, I think it's, um, okay. So the, the gut brain connection, again, this is decades of research. It's sort yep. of now becoming more popular. I think yep. the skin brain connection is not there yet in terms of mass popularity, but it's there mm. in terms of the science. Yeah. So what the science shows is that first of all, our, our organs, you know, we have, when we're embryos, we have specific germinal layers. Mm. Um, and to put it simply, it just means we have basically three types of tissue or three types of layers um, in the embryonic stages and one of them is called the ectoderm um, ecto is is another word for sort of like electricity you know so mm. it's this conductive tissue so this ectoderm gives rise to the brain tissue and also the skin as right. well as melanocytes which are pigment producing cells found in the brain and the skin it colors your skin and your eyes and your hair so um from a from a historical perspective let's say the skin and brain were the same thing at one point um because they have these shared origins um that's where a lot of similarities come in and i think a lot of people don't you know fully understand that because they you know what we study in the brain um is completely applicable to the skin in terms of neuroinflammation um wow. and neurohormonal interactions like these mm. these things um, do result on skin so the connection is is sort of a bi-directional conversation that the brain and skin have about everything about all of the outside world how windy is it how hot how cold where are you what's the humidity mm. level you know your skin is the prime sensor for everything in the outside world and okay. then from the internal world, yeah, from the internal world, your brain is the ultimate sensor of everything because it is, oh. it's sort of, you know, accepting all of these signals and all of this information from your body and mm. processing it. So, so in terms of optimizing, you know, this connection, what steps do you think is important to take? Um, and what should you address first? Is it, you know, address, are you addressing the brain? Are you addressing the skin mm. or what, is it a mm. flow on effect? Right. I think it's both. Um, it's hard to optimize this because we still don't know what an optimal level even is. Mm. You know, it's hard. To, it's hard to say that. Is it, is it um, something where your 
skin becomes hypersensitive to specific things that you want, for example, sound, maybe you yeah. want to, you know, experience sound, not just with your ears, but with your skin and your, you know, your hair on mm. your skin. Um, and we all to a small scale do, but yeah. um, I find that there's this huge untapped potential in the skin from a brain perspective that maybe in 20 or 30 years we'll be, we'll be having a discussion about how to do that properly. Um, right. And as, so at this point, yeah. So I, I think at this point, um, because we're, we don't know what the optimal mm. level is, it's hard to say, like how to optimize that. I would say it's both um, okay. skin and brain because you could consciously, um, you know, be more aware of your skin. That's mm. easy to do. You could just look at it. And, and see that it changes. And so you can think to yourself, where is this change coming from? Is it stress? You know, right now, yeah. a lot of people are stressed. A lot of people have anxiety and they think that they're operating fine on a day to day, mm. um, but they're starting to either lose their hair or get rashes or get breakouts or, you know, get dryness. And it's mm. not just being cooped up inside. It's like the whole you know, the whole anxiety of it all. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's one. And then the and second would be, you could obviously optimize your skin health yeah. through the skin. And where do hormones fit into the equation when it comes to the brain skin connection? It's so hormones are just messengers, you know, messengers that travel around the body and they travel from organ to organ. Um, tissue to tissue so so it's no different than you know the gut brain connection or yeah. or any other kind of connection um it's just how you know the body the cells mm -hmm. can communicate um through not just different signals um cell signaling but also hormones uh, that yeah. tell organs to turn things on and off etc right and do certain um hormonal imbalances can they be you know a reflection of certain skin conditions whether it's acne um dry skin can this be you know reflect certain hormonal imbalances whether it's different hormones basically is what i'm asking absolutely yeah i think a lot of the changes that we see on the surface of our body are due to not just you know lifestyle changes but also hormonal changes and i think the hormones because they change as we from day to night, for example, or also mm. as we age. Um, so you can have a big difference from, you know, a 60 year old to a 16 year old, just based on their hormonal um, map, you know, yeah. of like everything that's going on with them. So definitely um, your hormonal balance and your hormonal health is going to reflect on the skin. Right. And w what about when it comes to males versus females? What are, does the, you know, when it comes to optimizing this connection, does the approach differ? Obviously, because there is different hormone balances with the estrogen and testosterone levels mm -hmm. and these kind of things. Mm -hmm. yeah. What, diff yeah. what, what, what differences, differences um, become a part of it when it comes to optimizing these hormone levels? So um, you, you got that right, you know, in terms of males to females, I think, you know, you want to optimize your testosterone as a man um, to maintain just a healthy body and a healthy mm. mind. Um, and also for females, females is different though. Everyone kind of thinks about estrogen, um, but to clarify, estrogen is actually a misnomer. So the word is estrogens because it's mm. actually a family of compounds. And so because they're a family, some of these estrogens are more prevalent. And for example, someone that's pregnant, they're gonna have a different type of estrogen than somebody that is postmenopausal. 
um, uh, to someone that's just kind of a 20 year old, you know, kind of healthy young woman. So, um, so the type of estrogen is important, but also, and the, t- the life stage that you're at, but also mm. progesterone. So progesterone, um, in terms of aging, um, now I'm talking about hormonal aging. So specific yep. hormones go down first. Growth hormone is going to, to start slowing down the earliest. So mm. if there's a way to kind of tackle, or not tackle, but you know, kind of like optimize um, your growth hormone to maybe extend it a little bit, that could tap into, now we're talking about longevity in a sense, and, right? So now and, we and can see what, differences what, on skin. And what, what can affect that? Are you talking exercise, nutrition, mindfulness? What kind of practices do you recommend? It's all of them um, because all of these activities, yes, they all have an impact on our hormonal map. Right. And when it comes to exercise in particular, from the longevity standpoint of the brain, what's, what's the view there? Um, Obviously Mm. recent research and studies suggesting, um, you know, from a longevity standpoint, short duration, high intensity exercise is a better as opposed Mm -hmm. to long bouts of endurance from brain health and longevity. What's the view towards exercise? From brain health, I would say um, a moderate but regular activity. So it doesn't necessarily matter like how hard you work out. Like ideally you're not burning through your muscle fibers, Mm. but um, the key is movement. Um, It could be mindful movement too. So it doesn't have to be specifically just physical movement because we Mm. see that when the body moves, specific areas of the brain can produce new neurons. This is called Mm. neurogenesis. So you can actually create new brain cells and you can solidify your memory formation um, just through some exercise and breathing. I think breathing is the biggest part of this. And is there a certain... Is there a certain time and a turnover point that this occurs or it can occur with short bouts of exercise? It could occur within short bouts. It, it right. can. Um, as long as there's, you know, a little bit of a change in the physiology of the body, then the body mm. starts pumping out, uh, you know, new cells and, and changes. Right. And what about from a nutrition standpoint? Um, again, it, where, does, where does this fit into the equation again when it comes to brain health? For brain health, nutrition is important. Um, you shouldn't think that like, you know, you eat something and it's going to go in your brain. And it's going to, so you eat, you know, fat and then your brain's going to be healthier somehow. Like it's not that cut and dry, but mm. um, obviously having like more wholesome and nutritious foods. Yes. Your body will optimize the mm. nutrients in better foods than junk food, obviously. And, um, and this will, you know, kind of seep all around the body. It go, travels through the circulation, some specific nutrients, some of it travels and gets the waste into the lymphatics, um, which can even, you know, kind of transverse into the brain via the glymphatic system. Yep. And, um, and obviously our brain uses glucose and, and that's the main food for the brain cells. But does that mean you should just be eating sugar all day? No. So there's mm. a difference between, you know, body and brain when it comes to food. But, um, but that said, the healthier the food, the more variety you have, the fresher plant-based, I would say, right. um, the better it is for brain. So would you say you just touched on the glucose? So are you suggesting that the brain thrives um, off glucose? Yeah, it does. The brain cells um, use glucose for their energy source, but it doesn't come from your sugar intake. Um, We can, cells can produce their own, their own glucose, their own, you know. um, And where would the ketogenic approach fit to this then? Because obviously I know um, that it seems to be quite popular, whether it's for weight yeah. loss, certain people even do it for yeah. cognitive benefits. 
Yeah, I mean, again, this the research is really unclear on this just because there's not um, very good studies on it at all. Yeah. Um, it, having a high fat, high protein diet is going to alter your physiology. Is it going to make your brain healthier? Not necessarily. I think when you focus on nutrients that um, that target sort of inflammation, per mm. perhaps that could probably be a better option um, than going you know, and, and skipping out on, on carbohydrates, for instance, that are still necessary for production of, you know, B vitamins and, right. um, and you know, energy balance. Mm. And Claudia, how important is mindfulness um, in the whole approach to brain health and overall health? Um, you know, it's, it's becoming more popular, but I do think it is important. I know it's hard to do, you know, especially now everybody's so busy and so backed up with like everything they have to do on top of that. They have to meditate. That's crazy. Um, but it is, it is a, it is a very um, important aspect because, and it doesn't mean you have to specifically sit there and chant and meditate. You could have moments of mindfulness when you're eating. You could just think about your food and have a mindful moment. You could, right. um, when you're going on your walk, you can pay attention to, you. maybe you hear more birds these days, you know, because it's quieter. So listening to the birds, listening to nature, connecting with nature is mindfulness. Um, mm. Going out on a surf, you know, that is mindfulness. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think all of that is when we connect to our outer world and think about it and cal it calms us down. It really does. It reduces our cortisol levels, which is hormone hormone, um, cortisol, and, uh, you know, and it really just um, gets our body and brain back in sync with uh, the pace of nature. Have you found any protocols or practices outside of what we've touched on in, you know, mindfulness, exercise that can really reduce that cortisol spike um, and reduce the inflammation from a day-to-day -day basis? Well, kind of what I was just saying. So um, nature, uh, there are studies, particularly that some studies that came out of Japan that looked at how um, trees in particular release mm. these chemicals. There's airborne chemicals called phytoncides. And yep. when you breathe the phytoncide, it um, reduces your blood levels, your circulating blood levels of cortisol. And it also increases something called natural killer cells. Right. Natural killer cells are part of our immune system. So it kind of helps us fight off, you know, disease, viral mm. infections. And, um, and it does so just by you breathing in this, you know, this oxygen coming from the, from the trees, but not just the oxygen, but all of the volatile compounds that come with it. So get out, go for a mindful walk in nature. Mm. Take yeah. in the trees, fresh breath of fresh yeah. air. I love it. Absolutely mm -hmm. love it. And what about sleep, yeah. Claudia? Um, oh, huge, huge. Yeah. And are you, are you taking measures? Um, do you have an evening routine or have you got sort of measures in place to optimize your sleep? Um, I do, but I also have, well, he's now 11 months and 11 months old, um, which has just been wild because <laughs> I never, I don't know if you have kids, but I've never experienced such, such awful sleep in my entire life. Just full on sleep fragmentation, sleep deprivation to like the max. Um, mm. so it's really, it's really wild. And what have you um, found crazy. just so, on that? What have you, what have you found from this? You know, the reduction in sleep quality, are you yeah, um, coming more anxious or? Um, I found that we are somehow able to operate on less sleep than we think. Do I think it's healthy? No, of course not. Um, but being, you know, like in, as researcher, um, I also look at things of how to hack his sleep. 
so that I could sleep better, obviously. So there's yeah. so many little things like, you know, um, tapping them, you know, 10 minutes before they normally wake when you kind of readjust their circadian patterns. Mm. Um, it's like a, a ninja move. You have to be super swift and you have to leave and they have to not wake up, but they kind of have to move. And that will ensure you another 30 to one hour um, extra minutes right. of sleep, which, incredible. which is amazing. Yeah. Um, and also it's taught me a lot about, um, well, a lot, but it's taught me a lot about just like this the shifting of our, our sleep patterns. Mm. So how to hack, you know, yeah. your time to get more, more efficient sleep. So for example, right now, um, you know, at this age, he, he's teething and he's all these crazy things. He wants to walk and talk. So um, I'm trying to hack his nap times mm. so that his sleep time is better. So right. that, you know, kind of just shows you that we can adjust our schedules um, to have better, more optimal sleep. And, you know, whether you're a night owl or an early bird, it's going to be due to your own physiology. And what is your view towards napping? Is this something that can be beneficial? Yeah, I do. I think it could be refreshing. I don't right. think it's going to replace nighttime sleep because nighttime sleep is where your your um where your mm. brain really kicks into gear this, you know, this lymphatic cleaning of the waste of the day. Yep. Um, and and so what, if you don't sleep at night. Yeah. What are you recommending here? Obviously, it's um there's some mixed views about, you know, mm. you don't want to go into a full deep sleep cycle whether that's 90 minutes. Are you recommending short bursts of 20, 30 minutes or what's your view there? Yeah, I think if it's shorter, um, you know, we're, if we're talking about 90 minutes, that's a bit long. And once you've gone through your full cycle, then it might shift your nighttime, uh, you know, falling asleep. You're not going to be able to fall asleep as easy. So I would mm. say anywhere from like 20 to 40 minutes is probably a good zone where you're not even potentially going into REM, but you're getting a little bit of that deep sleep that is going to mm. be restorative enough. Claudia, I want to ask, just stepping away a little bit from what we've touched on, um, in terms of the brain building resilience and sort of creating habits, how susceptible sorry, is the brain mm -hmm. to change? Um, is it something that can occur easily or is it similar to a muscle that it takes gradual practice over time and time again? Mm. I think it depends on what you are trying to change. If it's something let's talk about trauma for example that's a big mm. change and your brain will change um you know can you get can you come back from that yes does does that take time yes so yeah. you know the initial impact of it is very rapid very quickly mm. but then mm. getting back into a, a different state or changing your habit for example um that can take longer if the habit um, that you want to change is, is something bigger it can take two months if it's mm. like a, a simple swap then it could take you a week and what do you recommend a lot of the time, say, if it is trauma, what steps would you mm. take? I think it's so individual, this, this kind of, you know, it depends on if it's a generational kind of trauma where it's something that has been ingrained in your DNA because that does happen. There is epidemiology um, in, in terms of studying how, right. you know, population and generational trauma happens to do something like this. Like we're, we're all living slightly traumatized these days because it is so different. It is such a different reality for everybody. Nobody's experienced this in our lifetime. So um, I think this is also impacting everybody's brain and body physiology. You know, um, I, I just did a, an interview on sleep and people mm. are telling me that they're sleeping. Uh, they're having these crazy dreams, you know, like why is everybody having quarantine dreams? Um, and the reason being is that, you know, there's, 
all of this anxiety in the world and a lot of our dream state is trying to make sense of it and since we right. can't make sense of a lot of this you know we get stuck with these crazy dreams i've often wondered that so basically do you know your thoughts before you actually do go to sleep do they sort of often dictate how you do sleep um you know your dreams how you wake up those kind of things yeah they can yeah for sure so if you're mm. basically in a calm state with a lot of happy thoughts then you might have a wonderful dream if ah. you are you know again this trauma thing coming up right if you're living in today's world which is pretty traumatic for a lot of people then that can also result in some you know unsettling dreams and are and you doing it do you do anything personally or recommend to you know improve the quality of these thoughts before you go to sleep whether it's gratitude journaling um reflection meditation anything like this yeah, there's two things that I like to recommend. So the first one is, um, it's gratitude for sure. It doesn't even have to be something that you need to write down, but it helps to write, I think, um, because the brain, there is a difference between like typing something and writing something in terms of the neural pathways. So I love, you know, telling people that, yes, you should write things. So gratitude is wonderful because it does um, boost, say your brain's resilience. That's one of mm. the key ways to boost your brain's resilience is to actually practice gratitude. And the second one is um, if you're going to do any kind of meditation, loving kindness meditation, because it's kind of a two, it's kind of a two way street. It helps you have compassion for yourself so that you're not just kind of beating yourself up because you couldn't get all the work done. You did that, you know, these little yep. things all the way through the big, big deals. Um, right. And it also helps, um, it kind of helps you have compassion towards others. And I also like to differentiate between compassion and empathy, because obviously if, if we were all very empathic, then we would all be suffering so mm. much and just, mm. we couldn't function. So, um, you know, so would this so differ with, to, you know, a morning meditation? Um, yeah, because I think in the morning, you know, you haven't really done anything yet. You've just had like your sleep, hopefully yep. if you had a, some sleep. Um, so <laughs> It kind of, I think that is when you want to set your intentions and that's right. when you can plan. That's where you can write your to-do list and you can plan mm. an intentions at night. You can have your reflection time, which I think is great because it helps you remember things like, yes, I saw the sun setting, you know, I saw, I'm looking at the waves and I just think it's so, so wonderful to be able to do that little bit, even though I'm stuck inside, blah, 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 mm. you know? So like finding things that you're grateful for, I think is, is really nice um, mm. to get your body adjusted for the night incredible i love it now claudia well, i'm going to finish off i'm going to put you under the pump a little bit three three <laughs> quick firing questions which um they were actually youtube videos that i've found on your website that i'm going to ask you about so just a quick um okay. just a short response i hope i don't put you under the pump okay. too much we've pretty much covered a lot of them though so first one does hmm. stress cause pimples yes straight up yes, uh, what yes. <laughs> yep what happens to our body if we don't sleep it shuts down. It what? Sorry, it shuts down. This this quick? It shuts down. Yeah. Are yep. we doing like this quick? Like, do you want me to expand more? <laughs> um, maybe expand a bit more on that one. The sleeping one. Okay. Okay. Um. So yeah, I mean, it could it could result in death. We haven't yeah. been able to study it because it's so unethical. There was a study in the '60s where they got close. Um, it could lead to you know paranoia, delusions on the psychological level, all the way through to diabetes and potentially you know cancer um stroke so it's it's extremely debilitating to not get proper sleep right and the last one which i'm quite intrigued to know is why is yawning contagious <laughs> 
Um, so, so interesting, right? I think people just like yawn and somebody else yawns and next thing you know, the <laughs> it's whole a flower effect. Yawning. Yeah. Totally. And you should try writing the word yawn. I could not believe how that was triggering so much yawning on my Is it really? When I was just, yeah. Um, well, wh one of the ways to explain this is it's this kind of contagion is a social thing, right? So then our brain has a specific region um, where it houses these types of neurons called the mirror neurons. They're literally wow. like mirroring each other, right? It's the seat of mm. empathy. You can't have empathy if you don't have these neurons. Uh, and yeah. we're not the only ones. Animals have it too. So this is the reason why yawning is contagious is because we're activating our empathy system, our mirror neuron system. And maybe it signals, you know, mm -hmm. if somebody's not sure it's nighttime for some reason, then seeing someone yawn might signal to them like, oh, it's maybe it's nighttime. Maybe I should start getting tired and start going to bed. Incredible. Same with laughing. Laughing yeah. is contagious and so is itching. All right. <laughs> if I start, if I start itching, yeah, okay, there you go. I'm going to start to use a few of these in place now. No, that's, that's incredible. I've never looked at it like that, Claudia. Um, but it really does. It makes perfect sense. Um, yeah. Well, Claudia, I won't take up any longer. We've hit our jackpot 30 minutes. Um, again, I really appreciate you jumping on, being a part of this. You're, you're a super wealth of knowledge. So um, it, it was great chatting. Um, I got a lot out of it and I'm excited to include you in the book. Oh, perfect. Thanks. Yeah. Keep in touch. Let me know how it goes. For sure.